Jesus' name, uh, amen. Uh, okay, so we had finished up Ephesians 5. We'll circle back on that in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3. So kind of jump a little bit ahead, move back a little bit if you want to turn there. Um, and uh, we're going to look at um, kind of leadership within the church and how that kind of fits within the things that we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks. Um, but as we think about kind of leadership and leaders that you've had, uh, specifically want to think of like the best boss that you've ever had. Um, and what were some of the qualities of that person, of that person? So... Some of you might like readily come to who your best boss was, and some might be like, best boss. Is that a oxymoron or, you know. Anyway, all right, Todd, you came out swinging. So what would you say? I said they're a good listener. They're a good listener. What way? Listen to what? All my complaints. All your complaints. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, because it takes time, right, to teach and to teach effectively. So, and it was before YouTube, so. <laughs> so. Okay. Anyone else? I 
say as I'm listening to it, I'm wondering if they were also that, that kind of father to their faith. And I would think so, but I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, you know, and I, I want us to think of that way because often, you know, I think sometimes when we think about, you know, certain bosses specifically, we talk about that. We talked about this a little bit last week, but didn't really kind of dive too far in about how employees should behave and how, uh, you know, even, even bosses or masters should behave um, within that context. But when we kind of think about leadership, you know, sometimes we can readily identify the faults in leaders, but it's good to kind of think about um, their strengths. So uh, Todd and I went to, I mentioned last week about um, one of our teachers that had passed away. The, they had the memorial service yesterday, um, which was a great service, and it was amazing how, so he had taught, um, uh, I guess he taught Bible, but he taught in education, was a PE coach, um, but at our school he was a Bible teacher. I don't know how many years before that, but I think 17 years at our school, but 40 years in education, um, and, uh, and, you know, just hearing, you know, the people that had come up that either maybe had him, like, 30 years ago as a coach, you know, still had kind of kept in contact, or, you know, as a teacher, and just some of the impact that he had, it was just kind of amazing, like, sometimes even the people that you see, you're like, what are you doing here, you know, it was like, oh, I was in this Bible study with him. Um, but just kind of, I think like the person that was presented, like that I knew as a coworker, people knew in the Bible study and, you know, as kids said, this is how he was as a father. It was like very transparent and that's how he was was very, uh, I mean, aspirational. I think some, one of those things, especially as a teacher, you're like, wow, I, uh, I would aspire to be, to be like that, um. And so it was a great, a great service in that regard. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, one of, the, <laughs> one of the services that you walk away from, and uh, especially for somebody, you know, who's uh, a little bit older and walked a path before you, <clears throat> as somebody that you could say, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of how I'd hope, you know, my, my legacy would be. So, and convicting as well, right? Um, so, yeah, what, how, how would those leaders be as fathers, um, hopefully those those qualities transcend to those uh, different um, different groups, but you never know. Well, last time we uh, looked at Ephesians five and uh, was walking, discerning, and submitting, and we kind of looked at the, the that last part, submitting, um, and where Paul kind of highlighted key relationship roles in our society, uh, and and kind of looked at how unity amongst believers involves submitting to one another out of love and leadership as demonstrated by Christ. So when we looked at, you know, the last, again, few passages we've looked at from these prison epistles, um, you know, the first one being Philippians chapter 2, all right, where Paul said, I want you to be of one mind, of one body, following one spirit, um, and be, you know, again, united for this common purpose. Uh, he said, you know, kind of the, the way that we do this is to by um, seeing others as more important than ourselves and to take our eyes off of, who, you know, our us and look at, you know, others. And more importantly, look at how others through the lens of how Christ looked at others. 
And so that's what Paul did, was looked at what Christ gave up in order to, um, you know, give his life for, for us. And so, again, using that as that paradigm, Paul, again, echoes that similar sentiment. Again, writing the letter from the same location to just a different group in Ephesians 5, he kind of echoes the same idea of unity, um, but then kind of boiling it down to what are some specific, you know, relational units, if you want to kind of call them that way, um, that are common within the church, I mean, within a society, and uh, how should we carry that out? And so this idea of submission, again, looking at everything, you know, we kind of went a little bit quick last week, or quicker than maybe we could have, probably having like four or five lessons that could have come out of that, but right, everything was done as unto the Lord, Um, looking to the Lord on how to how the Lord submits to the Father, looking at how the Lord loves um, the church uh, for husbands to love their wives, doing all things as doing it unto the Lord, knowing, right, masters, that you have a Lord in heaven who um, will uh, is watching you. And so you have all of these things, right, that uh, comes out of this. But what we've kind of saw through that, you know, what Paul was indicating was that there is this structure and that there is this order to how um, we need to behave in order to achieve harmony. Really, what Paul is looking for is this idea of unity. So then what should this look like within the church itself? So again, we've looked at kind of like pieces of groups within the church, but how should the the church look um, in in what that, that, uh, you know, in order to achieve those ends, right? Because the church is made up of couples, made up of families, made up of, you know, uh, people who work or different working relationships. And so uh, I want to look at kind of this idea, but it's going to take a little bit of a groundwork to kind of, you know, get into what we're going to talk about. So that's going to where we're going to put our time today. So try not to nod off, you know, try to make it somewhat interactive, but it's going to be looking at a lot of different pieces because I want to get our minds around, like, how do we get to where we're at within the context of what Paul is uh, going to talk about. So in 1 Timothy, this is where you guys should be by now, um, and we'll We'll quickly get away from First Timothy, um, but in First Timothy, you know, Paul is addressing it to a person named Timothy, right? And we know Timothy is his ministry partner um, in a pastoral role. You know, Paul shares with Timothy what a leader should do within the context of a church. Like, this is your role. This is what you should do. Whereas, you know, and there's two to Timothy, and there's another one to Titus that are called the pastoral epistles, whereas the other epistles, the other letters, are written to churches. This is how you should function within the church. But specifically, as a pastor, this is kind of what Paul is looking at. And so, you know, since Paul's first missionary journey, Timothy has been kind of around. Um, it was in his first missionary journey when Paul, uh, you know, Timothy likely was saved. And then it was on his second missionary journey Remember when he and Barnabas kind of split up, but beforehand they were like, let's go and try to strengthen the churches. And so that's what Paul did with with Silas. And uh, along the way, they picked up Timothy, and it was there that Timothy left his hometown and accompanied Paul. And then we've just seen him a part of 
uh, where he's gone from town to town in the book of Acts. We see him mentioned in different letters. We see that you know, he accompanied him to prison. Uh, sometimes he was sent by Paul. We saw that when we looked at Philippians 2, right? I'm sending Timothy there to encourage you. And so his name is kind of, you know, um, all throughout Paul's life and his letters. And so after Paul's release from imprisonment, from those you know, prison epistles, that imprisonment in Rome, um, we see that Paul went to Macedonia, which is again kind of northern Greece, and uh, Timothy was sent to Ephesus. And so Paul wrote to Timothy to give him his kind of pastoral advice. And if you, you know, maybe want to even, you can look back and flip back to like chapter one if you want to see like kind of the, the titles of some of the chapters or the, the sections. But, you know, Paul like starts off his letter with a kind of a sobering reminder that, hey, Timothy, I want you to be aware that there are people within the church um, that are, are desiring to teach false doctrine. And so he starts off right at the bat is that, you know, doctrinal purity is something that needs to be kept. And then he reminds Timothy of that gospel mission. And in verse uh, 15 in chapter 1, Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And again, if we had that kind of as like, like, hey, this is the focus. This is what we need to like have in front of us as our understanding, this trustworthy statement that all should accept is that what Christ came to do is to save sinners. And Paul putting himself in that position of saying, right, and I am the foremost. If we understood that, like, you know, we all need to be saved, and I'm no better than anyone else. Again, Paul coming from this role of fatherly pastoral advice as the leader over Timothy, he says that, like, I am... I was the worst, but God had saved me. So the gospel has right, this power to change lives. And Paul reminds Timothy that in the beginning, right? So let's keep that as our focus when so many other things want to compete for our interest, and particularly in the church, you know, that's where he starts off in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he charges Timothy um, to instruct people to pray, for all people, right? All people within the church. And that, you know, men should be leaders in prayer and women should conduct themselves in good works, right? And so he contrasts that to the cultural norms for men to be angry and quarrelsome. We saw that similarly at the end of Ephesians, right? That um, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. It just seems to be kind of something that like, you know, was commonplace or, or a norm or something that was understood or accepted, um, that that's how men act. And he says, no, men should, should be praying for others. And then women to be concerned, you know, uh, instead of being concerned with their attire and even being non-submissive, um, he, you know, says that they should adorn themselves in good works, right, and in service. And so, again, similar things that we saw in Ephesians 5, because Paul, Timothy is in Ephesus. So it's interesting to see um, that from the time that Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, which seems largely in the way that he writes the letter to the Ephesians, is that things are going well, and that people are, you know, that there doesn't seem to be any specific issues that Paul is addressing. But now that Timothy is in Ephesus, Paul is addressing some specific things that seem pretty um, 
dire and pretty serious. Doctrinal purity, and it'll talk about people that have left the faith, and then you know going on from there. And so later he will address uh, the fact that there will be those who leave the faith, um, but he wants Timothy to remain steadfast and to fight the good fight of faith, right? Using that kind of soldier language. And then he gives practical advice on how older and younger men and women should interact with one another. Interesting, right? He talks about like, hey, husbands and wives, fathers or, or parents and children, masters and slaves. And now he kind of like looks at a different group and he says like, you know, older men and younger men. This is how you guys can interact with one another, right? Because there's sometimes differences that are there within, even within a church based on age, you know, age and, and differences of interest and, you know, places there are in life. And then older men and, or, you know, sorry, older women and younger women and how that looks, uh, you know, how that should, um, you know, flourish within the church. So he kind of talks about that later in his letter. But right, right here in the center of Paul's letter, he addresses a critical role for the church, which are the overseers. And so that's where we're at in chapter 3. And uh, we'll see, uh, see how far we get within this, um, kind of looking back and understanding kind of how we got to where we got. So in chapter 3, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We saw that, that you know, I, I had quoted um, chapter 1, verse 15, where he said, right, that this saying is trustworthy. And you know, talked about uh, the fact that you know Christ saves sinners and that He is of the foremost, right? And so it's echoing this idea of something that has said, something that has been um, repeated. And so uh, he'll talk about what that looks like, right? So Paul says that, that this office of overseer is some something that someone in the church aspires to. The word literally means to kind of reach out to, kind of externally. So it's this role or something that can be seen um, and that can be looked at and even reached out to, right? Stretched out for. And that it is also could be something that is desired. And that word is to crave um, internally. And so you've got this external, internal kind of uh, you know, wording that Paul uses when he talks about the office of overseer. <clears throat> he also says that it is a noble task, or literally it's a good work or deed. Um, and so when we see those, you know, these terms, what does that indicate about this role of overseer? That is something uh, externally to be reached out towards, internally desired or craved, um, something that is a good work or a good deed. And so what is Paul saying about this office of overseer? <laughs> All right, does this seem does this seem something that is um like low-hanging fruit, like, you know, hey, it's just there for you, or is this something like more than that, different than that? Is that the right term, low-hanging fruit? I don't know. Is that... <laughs> okay. 
Okay. It's not for everybody. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, we'll unpack a little bit more of what that looks looks like. But essentially, it's it's a bar, right? You know, that is above one's head to be again reached up to, not just easily accessible. There's things that are in Christ that are easily accessible. Even last week when we looked at Ephesians for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for the church, it's like, that's a high task, right? Um, same thing that, you know, women are to submit themselves as unto the Lord as Christ submitted himself to the Father. You know, same things, this idea is that Paul, like we looked at, and again, I, I kind of kept using that term, that he's kind of like, looks at this idea of aspiring to something, something that is, you know, uh, something that we want to look towards, look for, right? Uh, pattern yourself after the image of Christ or imitate God. I mean, these things like, you know, oh yeah, that's easy. These things are, are not easy, but it's something that is good, right? Something that is helpful to do. Um, as for Paul indicating, right, that this saying is trustworthy, um, shows that he's kind of putting his weight behind that idea. Uh, why do you think maybe Paul needs to do that? Like why do you need to? Th- why do you think he needs to say that it's a good task? If if uh, you know, what's that? Yeah. Well, there's also requirements. We'll see that in just a second. But, um, you know, if we think of context, right? Remember, we looked at when Paul first went to Ephesus. What happened when Paul went to Ephesus? What's that? <clears throat> he did towards the end, right? He spent a couple years there, but towards the end, like there was this riot over, uh, you know, the silver merchants who were losing money because, you know, and so he ended up. I ended up leaving town. So for a while, he was able to take flourish and establish a, a ministry there. But over time, right, uh, there would have been some conflict that would have happened. And so even when you look at this letter to what Paul is saying to Timothy, right, there's some issues going on within the church or people from the outside that are looking to corrupt um, what's going on within the church. And so, uh, so to be someone who is in that position of overseer uh, demands um, something that people might want to shy away from. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, where some might just be like, no, that's not for me. Or, you know, I'd rather just do this. So, But he's saying those that have this desire, it is a good thing um, to externally think about that. So go ahead and... Um, think about what that role is. And we'll talk about, again, what that looks like in just a little bit. 
<coughs> so, um, so in several areas of, of Scripture, right, we see kind of like various forms or roles uh, within the structure of the church. We saw that when we looked at Ephesians, kind of even Ephesians 4. Um, you know, there, there's pastors and teachers um, and different roles within the church. We might look at those a little bit next week. Uh, but I want us to turn to the book of Acts to kind of see how like this um, develops and so we'll just look at kind of like a few sections in the book of Acts. And I just want us to kind of see like the need for um, this, you know, person to be an overseer. And then even what that might look like um, within, you know, the role within the church. So, <clears throat> so throughout the book of Acts, we see that believers were called disciples um, yet we also see within that that there were these disciples that had been elevated to this role of apostles. And so we've talked about the apostles in the past. Apostles meaning one who is sent, a disciple is a learner, someone who is being instructed. And so they were disciples under Jesus, and those disciples under Jesus now took on the role of an apostle, those who would be sent out and do the work of Christ and establish the, the, the name of Christ in different places and locations. So turn to Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 32. And we see Acts 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, uh, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So at this time, you're starting to see a little bit of, you know, we see some of the apostles beforehand had gone and taught in different places. They were arrested, they were released, um, and all these different things. But you see kind of people were added to the church, they were called disciples, you have these ideas of apostles, but now you have like it's the role of like an apostle within kind of like the organizational structure, and we say organizational structure, but it's just like a bunch of people who are saved <laughs> were meeting, you know, near the temple, um, Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, sometimes it's, you know, as some people refer to it as, um, and this is kind of what it looked like. If someone had needs, somebody sold their land, but what do you do with the money that you sold? Somebody has to distribute that money, and so it was the apostles that were kind of taking on that role of distributing it to the needs of the others. So they were kind of elevated, right, not only from a um, position of sharing the gospel, but were looked at as the leaders within the church, and when it came to like functioning within the church, the apostles had this role of making sure that there was a distribution that was giving it out. And so then the next time we see this kind of like division of labor, so to speak, is in the next chapter in Acts chapter 6. And we'll refer to this uh, 
probably next time, if not the week after, um, when we kind of look at like the roles of those who serve. But in verse 1 of chapter 6, we read, Now in those da- these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Um, so just kind of as a point of like the Hellenists, who are those people? Um, were right Those that were Greek-speaking Jews would have been um, neglected, right, right, Against the arose against, the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, those that were Hebrew-speaking Jews. <clears throat> that even within the groups, like those that were kind of more Greek in what they you know believed, there were different synagogues. And remember, people were coming from all over to Jerusalem, and then they came and were saved. They were there for the day of Pentecost, and so even those that had saved were coming from areas that were Greek, more Greek-speaking. And then those that were probably there in Jerusalem, more Hebrew speaking. And so even within that, it's like, hey, our people aren't being looked out for. And so that was where this kind of um, dispute or complaint came up. And so the 12, who were the 12? Not by name, but they were the apostles, right? The, the disciples, now apostles. And so the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, meaning like everybody who's just a part of the church. Again, that's who the disciples are. And said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Kind of keep that one in the back of your mind. So, again, who's in the church? We've got disciples, we have apostles, but... There needs to be, again, this distribution of food to take care of the people. It used to just be laid at the apostles' feet. Now it's like, hey, we have um, what we would deem more important matters, right, of preaching the word and praying for this ministry, not because we are more important or deemed more important, but we have this role and responsibility that being disciples of Christ, right, we had firsthand access and we were, being, we were commanded by Christ to do this. So this is our full-time um, devotion and occupation that we want to do this. So if we can shoulder some of the responsibilities to some other men who can oversee this, then we are going to do so. And everyone said, that seems like a great idea. There is this wisdom about having some structure within the church to do some things. And so instead of it happening organically, we know that it wasn't happening organically because there was this dispute that happened. So... They want to take care of the needs in doing that. And so we see this kind of, this, this continues throughout Acts, so that all believers are disciples and the apostles are the spokesmen for Christ. And so turn to chapter 11. Any questions so far? So we're kind of going through, so it's kind of a historical narrative. This is the early church, right, how this is happening. So verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. All right, Stephen was one of the guys that was chosen. We see in the, the next chapter that he's giving this like condemning message and then was stoned. And because of 
Um, when he was stoned, then this guy named Saul, right, the guy who's, you know, writing this letter to Timothy now, was persecuting the church and people scattered. So because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So this is north of Israel. Um, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and he foretold by the, uh, foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. That was the Roman Empire at the time. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so within the church up in Antioch, again, you have this group of uh, believers that are disciples. And they all in one kind of accord came together and said, this is what we're going to do. seems like, again, from the network of the group. Now, there were those that were able to teach that came and ministered, um, Barnabas and Saul, right? And they spent, again, as their time and their efforts to help grow this church and, and, and minister to this church. But one of the things that they said because of this famine that was happening in Jerusalem is that they were wanting to send money back. And so when they did so, they said, Barnabas and Saul, we're going to give you this money, and we see that it was given to this group, the elders, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And this is kind of the first time we see this kind of like distinct group that is mentioned um, within the early church. So an elder is literally a person who is older. And so that's how that name was defined. These were the men in... Um, the society, right, that were looked at to kind of make decisions. So even when I ask, like, you know, things about your boss, typically a, your boss is usually older than you. And why is it that a boss is usually older than you? Not always, but why is that tip, typically the case? What's that? Yeah, more experience. They've been down this road before. They, you know, are in a position that they can give direction and guidance uh, to teach, to, you know, allow, you know, again, hand down some of those things. All through the Old Testament, we're not going to go through the Old Testament, there are these elders, right, that had this role of helping make decisions, um, who were appointed for certain tasks to uh, be in a certain role. And just as older men, you could think of like the fathers and the grandfathers in society, right, that would uh, come together and, again, make uh, recommendations on, you know, things that needed to be done. And it was, again, even seen in Jewish society. Um, in Acts chapter 4, uh, we read, On the next day, there the rulers, so this is when um, uh, 
Peter was arrested. And it says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were with of the high priestly family. So within the Jewish society, there was this understanding of these people that were called rulers, these people that were called elders, these people that were called scribes. Sometimes they kind of coexisted and had like similar roles. But it's kind of like all the people who were in charge including the high priests, right? They came together to decide what are we going to do about these guys. And so it was how, like, again, societies functioned. And so within the church, you had this group that was known as the elders, right? That Paul and, uh, sorry, Saul and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas, were able to take a collection to the church and give it to the elders for distribution, right? So at some point... It was these men that were appointed to this task, and then that, that group seemed to then be collectively understood as, as the elders, or they changed, because we don't know exactly who this group is um, at this time. We just know that they have been mentioned. But you have this idea of, hey, we're going to give it to funds to you guys. We want to see it distributed well. And so, elders, you make the decision on how that's going to happen. A little bit later, right, Paul and, and, and Barnabas were led to go on their first missionary journey. And so they went to where Barnabas was from in Cyprus, and then they moved their way up into the middle of Turkey or Asia Minor at the time and went to these different churches and uh, went to the synagogues and then went to the Greeks and preached the word of God. And churches were kind of established, and we'll see that. But in chapter, uh, in, in uh, verse uh, 21 in chapter 14, we see. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lustra, it's actually where Timothy was from, and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they went to these churches and then they kind of backtracked, and that's where they're going um, on their way. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? That was their focus, that was their message. And that was what they're continuing to exhort the people. Like, hey, this is the truth. This is the doctrine. This is, you know, how we follow Jesus Christ. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's kind of an interesting point. And again, some people will make a big deal out of this or, you know, maybe extend more about what this role is. But when they came to a church, right, and... You know, they didn't spend that much time. It was like they went to a church, they went to a church, they went to a church, and then they came back. And by the time they came back to the church, they had appointed elders. So this role of elder, right, where would they have gotten these elders from? And we're, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more, in, not really more in depth, but we'll get to this when we see, like, the qualifications for an elder. But regardless of that, we see that something, uh, this group was established within, within the church to provide Again, guidance to provide, you know, um, uh, wisdom within the church. And we see that there in chapter uh, 14. So, um, so, again, Paul and Barnabas appointed these men. And then we would see that this would parallel something we've already seen in the church in uh, Jerusalem. So, chapter 15, verse 1, we see, But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers 
We looked at this chapter already, but not specifically this kind of idea. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Right. So in some case, this this reason is that we're going to go to um, hash this out. And the apostles, it would seem like they would be able to, you know, make a determination just as it is, but it wasn't just to the apostles that they went and shared this with. It was this group called the apostles and the elders about this question. Last one we're going to get to, right? Finally, on the way um, you know, to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, <clears throat> Paul um, stops at a port in Asia Minor. So he was in Greece. He's going to Jerusalem. So I guess remember this way. He's in Greece. He's going to Jerusalem and Asia Minor's up here. And so as he stops along a port, and he's going to all these ports where they would stop, um, pick up people, drop people off. Uh, he stops in a port here, and when he's there, he's not too far from Ephesus. Um, he's not too close from Eph- to Ephesus either, <laughs> but he's not too far from Ephesus, so he's able to summon them, um, the, the elders in Ephesus, to meet him. And so, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we see, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So remember, Paul spent, you know, two to three years in Ephesus, and this group called elders had already been established at that church, and so he calls them to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. We know that happens. Uh, Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." So we see here in this, this role, right, uh, these elders in the church, he also calls that they are appointed as overseers. So now finally making this connection of overseer that um, Paul is saying to Timothy that they are kind of one and the same in this idea. And so you see the, even just within this context right here that the, the role of, of elders in the church, Paul says, right, um, you need to care for yourselves. Um, So you guys as a group of elders need to 
care for, you know, take care and, and make sure that you are um, watching over yourselves. You need to care for the flock, right? The church of God, all of the disciples that Christ has put in your midst. You need to commit yourself to the word of God. And then you need to kind of admonish tenderly uh, in a way that Paul did. And so it could be, right, when Paul says it's a, it's a noble task, it's a good work, right, that if people see the example of Paul, it might be like, that is a, <laughs> that's a high calling that, you know, admonishing with tears day to day and conflict with Jews that some might even feel like they want to shrink away from, right? But Paul, knowing he's going to go to prison, knowing this is the last time he's going to see them, wanted to like speak truth into them because he spent so much time there. And he, I think of just all the other groups that he could have maybe stopped. I mean, this was probably one of the most convenient. And so while he's there, I just I, I want to like speak wisdom and truth into you and say, you know, almost like hard days are coming for myself, but hard days are probably coming for you. And I want you to understand, right, of the calling that God has placed on you as being those that are the fathers and grandfathers within the church, right, these kind of uh, to care for and watch over the church. And so Luke uses, you know, writes that Paul uses the word overseer to describe them. And that word uh, overseer is episkopos. Uh, get kind of the Episcopalian church and sometimes, um, anyway, translated as other things. But that word for episkopos is um, someone who sets someone towards a goal or a mark. Um, some are, you know, sometimes this word is translated as a guardian. Um, and obviously in this context, overseer. But again, if there is this goal to obtain, this kind of mark that we're trying to head, hit at, if you think of a target in a bullseye, it's one whose role is to push pe- put people towards that mark. And that is the role of the overseer. And so then he takes this idea, right, again, to how this looks within the functionality of the church. And so um, we'll just, again, finish this verse 1. And we'll look at kind of all the other verses that kind of come in there, but I want to at least set the stage of what this looks like. He says, again, in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. As seen in Acts, Paul uses that word interchangeably for elder and for overseer. And he uses that interchangeably in a few other places in Scripture. And we'll look at that next week. And so we'll get to kind of like the, the qualities and the characteristics of an elder um, or, or of an overseer and what that looks like, and then kind of look at some other structure and functionality within the church. But how, again, Paul, like within the church, right, they all kind of coexisted as disciples and believers, but at some point there was a need, right, to um, appoint order within the church, just like there needs to be order within a, a, a marriage, order within a family, order within a, you know, uh, you know, between masters and slaves, and how they function within the church, within the, that unit, but also within the church, and we're going to extrapolate that and look at that a little bit more. So, there's a lot of that, like one way kind of listening and reading, and so hopefully, you know, uh, you guys are tracking along, but we'll... Um, get into this next week. This chapter isn't very long, so probably two more weeks of this and, and uh, we'll kind of get a good understanding.